This morning we are looking at Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 through 31. Last week we talked about how uh, they were celebrating the, the, uh, uh, the Passover. Uh, and they were talking about the, the great themes of, of moving from slavery to freedom and liberation for people and uh, the system that had been set up in, in, the, in the temple made it really hard for people who were oppressed and marginalized to, uh, to worship God in the temple. And so the system they had set up wound up enslaving people, and Jesus was mad. And so I thought this week it would be good for us to just, re- let's rehearse that story, uh, the story of the Exodus. Um, and I thought that would be fun, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, so Exodus 14, verses 5 through 31. Uh, You'll find the words on the screen, or if you've got it with you, they'll be on your screen. Before we read, let's pray together. God, we're grateful that that we can open this book and that together as a community we can can think about what it is that you have to say to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that, that we would feel your presence. Uh, and that you would move in us and through us as we, as we talk a little bit about this, this dense story that is packed with so much. I just pray that your voice would be the voice that we hear. Do something in us to change us and make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a little longer passage. So, buckle up, strap in, try not to fall asleep while I read. Um, but I'm going to read to you. So here it is. I'll give you some background and lead up to this later. We'll like rehearse the whole thing. But here's where we are in the story. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly, the Egyptians. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-ha'arath, opposite of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance from the Lord. The Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move. Move on. 
Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through on the, the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood between them, behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them. And all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Wow. That's a story right there. As a big, bold story. We might, might call it an epic story. Certainly a defining story. What's your story? What's your story? Has anyone ever asked you that question before? What's your story? What are the things that have happened in your lives that have defined you, that have shaped you, that have formed you into the, the person you are today? Right? What is your... It's important for us to know the story, know our own stories, because the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and the stories that we tell other people about ourselves, they're really important. They help us sort of communicate who we are and who we will be as we go into the future, right? Whenever you meet somebody new, eventually you get to the point where you share your story with them and you listen to them share their stories. It's sort of a, a way for us to get to know each other. If you're applying for a new position at your job or applying for a new job, eventually they'll ask you questions that will get at your story because they want to know who you are, what defines you, what formed you, so they kind of can have an idea of how you will be in the future. Politicians know this better than anybody. When anybody ever comes out and says, hey, I'm running for office, the first thing they do is what? 
They tell you their story, their history, their background. And, and that's good. It's a way for us to sort of get to know them. It's a way for us to connect. And uh, it's a way for us to sort of get an idea of how they were formed so we know how they were governed and represent us in the future. They do this through campaign ads. They do this in campaign speeches. So stories are important. It's important for us to know each other's story. What has defined us? What will move us forward? The story that we have this morning is definitely a defining story. But it's not just a defining story for one individual. It's a defining story for, for an entire nation, the Israelites. And because it's a defining story for them, by extension, it's a defining story for us too because we're followers of Jesus. And it, for Jesus, this was a defining story for him. Now, most people agree that this story of this epic journey from the people of God, of the people of God, being led by God and Moses from slavery into the wilderness for 40 years and finally into the promised land, this story contains within it, get this, all of the great themes of the Bible. This one story contains within it all of the great themes of the Bible. And it's almost like all the other stories in the Bible are sort of an, another sort of rehearsal of what this story Contains. Listen to what Walter Brueggemann says. He calls this story the powerful, compelling center of Israel's defining memory of faith. Oh, this story spells out for us all sorts of theological realities. Theological realities like this, that God continuously calls people from slavery into freedom. God continuously calls people into liberation where they can live full, happy, healthy, productive, flourishing lives that God provides for that. That God chooses ordinary people like you and me, or even people that we would consider not ordinary, people who are marginalized, who are oppressed, and that God will always be with us that God will never abandon us. And for that reason, we should never, ever be afraid. Right? All of those realities are finally and fully wrapped up in the life, death, and resurrection of the one we know of as Jesus, the Christ. So this is their defining story. But this is also your story and my story and our story too. So this story probably ought to pay to, to play a part in shaping us and forming us into the kind of people that God wants us to be. It's important for us to know our defining stories. So this morning, we're just going to walk through it. And I will tell you up front, there are thousands of things that we could say about this story. There are thousands of things that people have said throughout history about this story. Today, we'll talk about two. That's it. So we're barely, as usual, scratching the surface. There are like a billion things we could say, not a thousand. It's crazy. So let me just sort of lead us up into what we just read uh, this morning. The whole thing started because of a massive food shortage. Right? So the Israelites are in Egypt because of famine. And it, it all started out okay. They started out as just refugees. But as the years went on and as time went on, the Egyptians turned them into a people of forced labor 
to what we could think of as Pharaoh's empire expansion by construction, which essentially means they made the Israelites their slaves. They were mistreated. They were abused. And they cried out to God because of it. Now, the Bible tells us that God hears their prayers, and he appoints this guy named Moses uh, to be a, sort of the head of the foreign relations committee, and his only helper is his brother, Aaron. After some tough negotiations with Pharaoh and a number of plagues, like I said, this is like the whole story condensed in like a minute. Right? So after these plagues, Pharaoh af- agrees to let the people go. And they wasted no time getting out of there. And it had to feel, they, like they packed up their stuff, their families, the livestock, and they simply wa- walked out boldly. Now, it had to feel incredible to be walking from slavery into freedom, but this wasn't an easy kind of freedom. This was a tough, tough kind of freedom. They walked out into the freedom of the wilderness. They walked out into the freedom of uncertainty. They walked out into the freedom of, oh no, what do we do now and what is next? Right? No available food. No available drinking water. They had no idea where it was they were going. And then they finally made their way to this wet, marshy, bog land known as the Sea of Reeds, sometimes known as the Sea of the Red Sea. You've heard of this, right? So as they came, as they came up to the edge of the, the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea, the unthinkable happens. Verse 9, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horsemen and chariots, Horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them. Pharaoh had changed his mind. Slavery was coming back. So, of course, of course, they lose their nerve. Of course, they sort of freak out for a moment. And so they say to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Notice the word that keeps being repeated there. Why'd you bring us out of Egypt? Why'd you bring us out of Egypt? It would have been better for us to die in Egypt. Why didn't you let us stay in Egypt to serve the Egyptians? Whenever there's a sort of a a repetitive thing happening here, there's a point being made, right? All they can dream of and imagine and think of is the way things were back here in Egypt. They're having a really hard time changing that mental mentally in their brains. All they know is Egypt. They want to go back to Egypt. They're afraid. It's what they know. They want to go back. They they want to lie down and say to the Egyptian army, we're sorry. We'll go back. Don't hurt us. Take us back to where we belong. So this is our story too. How many of us haven't been in the place like that? We just want to go back to the way things were. 
Maybe you're in a place like that right now. Sometimes we have this urge or it feels like a nudge or a push to move in a new or a, or a different direction. Right? Sometimes we feel like God is, is calling us into something new. We don't necessarily hear the voice of God. We just have this thing in us that's like we've got to move here. And maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new position with the people you're already working with. Maybe, maybe it's to go out on your own and start your own business. It could, be a, it could be a new home, a new place to live. It could be, a new, could be a new church. Maybe it's the decision to, to make a commitment to a relationship, a deeper commitment to relationship. Or maybe it's to, it's to make the heartbreaking decision to end a relationship that, that isn't healthy, or it's just not going to work. Maybe it's a new school with new teachers professors, new people, new friendships, or maybe it's the decision of when to retire. What in the world are you going to do when you stop working? When you are going to retire, what are you going to do with your life? Maybe it's, maybe it's moving into a new way of thinking about the world, about how the whole thing works, about who God is and how God relates to you and us and the rest of Humanity, all of those things come with risk. All of those things come with danger. All of those things come with, with a sense of deep uncertainty. And there isn't a person in this room that hasn't thought or said out loud at one time or another things like this. What have I gotten myself into? What the heck am I doing here? Like, life back then really wasn't so bad. I think I should ju- just, just drop everything and go back. Because our imaginations are back there. It's all we can think of. It's all we can imagine. It's all we've known for a really long time. Right? It would have been better for us to just serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the desert. See, it's so simple for us to feel the weight, the danger, the uncertainty, and we forget that God is the one who called us into it. And we just want to go back. At the heart of this story is this crazy, crazy idea that the God of the universe, the creator of all that is, calls ordinary people like you and me into this sort of forever journey, always following with faith and commitment into an uncertain future. It's the heart of this story. It all started with A guy named Abram and his wife, Sarai. Abraham and Sarah. And it continued on into people like Moses and Ruth and David and Esther through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and others through this couple named Mary and Joseph 
to a guy named Jesus and 12 followers and the community of amazing people that gave up their lives in order to follow him and then down through the centuries, eventually getting to you and to me. God is the one who agitates our lives. God is the one who shakes things up. God is the one who disturbs us so that we're uncomfortable with the status quo and the way that things are. God is the one who continuously calls us forward. There's like a movement of the universe, of creation that's going forward that God is inviting us to to jump into that flow along with God. And sometimes we stop and say, oh my goodness, this is hard. Really, really hard. It would have been better for us to just serve the Egyptians than die out here in uncertainty and danger. Here's where I think the story gets interesting. Well, the whole thing's interesting, but this is an interesting part of the story that I find particularly interesting. See, God isn't done agitating. So they've been agitated. They've been disturbed, and God isn't done disturbing. Now they're out here feeling it in a major way, but God's like, I'm not done yet. I'm going to keep going. God isn't done pushing them, pulling them forward. So here they are. They're standing on the shoreline of the Sea of Reeds. Nothing but, but marshy, boggy wetland in front of them. How do you navigate all of that mud and water? Right? Here they are, standing on the shoreline of the Sea of Reeds. They've got the Egyptian army bearing down behind them. Right? The whole thing, all their horses and chariots, all the horsemen and troops, the entire army of Egypt bearing down on them, ready to slaughter some and take the rest back. They were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. And Moses eventually tries to sort of calm them down. Stay calm, he said. It's okay. God is the one who led us into this. Everything's going to be fine. God is going to fight for us. And before the Israelites get a chance to respond to whatever it is that Moses is telling them, God just intervenes into the conversation. Says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Keep going. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to just keep moving. What kind of response is that? They cry out. They pray their hearts out. Lord, help us. And God says, why are you crying out? Just keep going. Keep moving. Don't stop. Get that. The answer to their prayer was to do what? Was to walk out into the water. At this point in the story, when God says, keep moving, The water hadn't been split yet. How do you navigate all that mud and water? He said, just keep going. It's not split yet. Keep moving. Go. See, they were expecting God to answer their prayers by acting for them. And God answers their prayer. God's answer to their prayer was for them to act with Him. They wanted God to answer their prayer for them. God's answer to their prayer was for them to act with Him in the answer 
to their prayer. Why are you crying out to me? Keep moving. Why'd you stop? Keep going. And the first step into the sea of reeds, I think, becomes as much as, as miraculous as God splitting the sea into two. Oh my goodness. There's like a hum here in the story that I really love. Like I, you can feel that idea. See, too often we treat our communication with God, our prayers, as if we're only talking to God. We tell God how awesome God is, how amazing God is, how incredible God is, like we're trying to butter God up, as if, butter, if God can be buttered up, and then we get to the thing that we want God to do for us, that we need from God. Right, but think about this. The last time you said a prayer, did it make you want to take action? The last time you said a prayer, God, will you do something? Did it make you want to move? Did it make you want to actually do something about the thing that you just prayed for? Or was it just communicating with God what you need? Amen. I'm done. If so, then maybe we need to hear those words from God. Why are you crying out to me? Keep moving. Keep stepping. Keep going. I'm with you. Let's do this together. So not long ago, I came across a survey about prayer done by the BeliefNet organization. This is really interesting stuff, I think. Uh, so the results of this survey found that most Americans, whether you believe this or not, this is what they found, uh, take prayer seriously and make it an important part of their lives. So we pray for all the usual things. We pray for relationships. We pray for health. We pray for safety. We pray for a better world. But then when the people in the survey were asked if, if their prayers were ever answered, 26% said, sometimes. 26? 43% said, often. But get this, when asked for the reason that God doesn't answer their prayers, 79.4% of people said, because it wasn't part of God's plan. Could we be wrong that often? That's true. There are some things that we pray for that seem to be completely out of our control. God's ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts, and I, I get all that. But could it be that sometimes we use that phrase just as an excuse? Well, I guess it just wasn't part of God's plan. Well, what if we just didn't take a step into the water? What if we just didn't raise our hand, our staff, in order to work with God. If the Israelites hadn't taken that step, if Moses hadn't raised the staff and the waters hadn't been split, would the Israelites have just stood there and said to one another, well, I guess it just wasn't part of God's plan. So prayer isn't something we just sit and do. This relationship with God thing isn't just something that we sit and receive. Prayers aren't something we just float up into the air and, just, and we just sit back and wait and we hope. That's more like a wish, right? Like we're, like we're throwing 
pennies into some cosmic fountain that we can't see way up there in the air. Who knows where? Prayer is more than wishing. Prayer is an exercise in relationship in which we work with the divine to find the answers to what we're looking for. We can't be active participants if we just don't ever do anything. If we don't take intentional steps and move. What Moses and the Israelites learned along the shoreline of the Sea of Reeds, I think, reminds us that meaningful prayer is just the beginning of action. Like We're going to do something with God here. What they learned that day, I think, is a whole litany of things, which is why this story keeps the themes in it just keeps getting repeated and repeated and repeated throughout the rest of the Bible and even into the New Testament and then into our lives too. What they learned that day is that God calls people from slavery into freedom to liberation where we can be in a place where we can, where we can, we can live good, healthy, whole, productive lives where we flourish and contribute to the flourishing of the people around us. We learn that God provides, that God chooses ordinary people like you and me, and that God will be with us, and that because God is with us, providing for us, there is nothing, nothing in this world that we have to fear. So this is our story too. It's a defining story. Why are you crying out to me? Keep moving. Take a step. And we know how it ends up. They take a step. Moses raises his arms. They work with God. And God sort of intervenes and God saves. What movement do you need to make today? What are you crying out to God for? What are you asking God to do for you that maybe, maybe God's just waiting for you to take another step? God's just waiting for your input on the matter. God's waiting for you to put one foot in front of the other so that it's not just God intervening, but working alongside of you. What's next? What's the next step? Only you know. Let's pray.